Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. On today's episode, I'm speaking with V Tran. V is a litigation associate in Foley's Houston office. In our discussion, V shares about her childhood, reflecting on how she frequently moved as a child while her parents, who had immigrated to the U.S. from Vietnam, worked to establish themselves in the U.S. V reflects on how she had wanted to be a doctor, but how her path changed after she became a single mom during college. V walks us through how it was that she was able to raise her son, attend school, and work part-time jobs, and she shares the wisdom she gained from those jobs. After talking to V, I'm now convinced that all of us should spend a little bit of time as a bartender. Overall, what strikes me about V is just how intentional she is. I'm certain that she would say that the difficult circumstances demanded that intentionality, but in listening to her, I think you'll be impressed by just how smart and self-aware she is. V provides some profound advice and reflections on how it was that she was able to build her self-esteem during college. She provides some great guidance on how to surmount large goals by taking them one day at a time. I hope you enjoy our conversation. V, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to jump right in, same way I do with everybody. Tell me about yourself. Give me your professional introduction. Sure. My name is V Tran. I'm a six-year associate at Foley & Lardner. I work out of the Houston office, and I am in the litigation group. Most of my practice primarily focuses on energy litigation. So before we started recording, you shared how you've listened to a lot of these episodes. So you know what comes next. I want to find out how it is that you became V Tran, at Foley and Larder in Houston. And I want to start at the very, very beginning, which is where are you from? Where did you grow up? So I was born in Port Arthur, Texas. It is a very small town near Beaumont, Texas, which is another small town off the coast of Texas. I grew up in California until I was seven years old. Then I moved back to Texas. While I was in California, I moved to, I lived in different, various different cities. I was in Huntington Beach. Anaheim, Garden Grove. My parents moved a lot up until we moved to Texas. Uh, We were in Dallas for a year, and then we moved to Houston, and I've been in Houston since. And when did you move to Houston? So how long have you been in Houston now? So I've been in Houston since the fourth grade. Okay. Whatever, whatever age that is. I think it's seven or eight. So it's been a while. It's funny though, because so for me, my parents didn't move a lot as a kid, but I was in three different elementary schools, sort of in the same general vicinity between like Illinois and, and Wisconsin. But even though for me, same thing, I was in the same school system since fourth grade on, it really does feel like you moved a lot, even though you stayed in the same place thereafter. So I just find that so interesting. Like when you move a lot during those formative years, it kind of sticks, it sticks with you. Yes. What I remember, my elementary school years was kind of all a blur 
because I went to about seven different elementary schools and I did not stay. You got me beat. I had three year at set. Okay. Tell me more. (laughs) I did not stay at a school for an entire school year up until the fifth grade. And part of that was my parents got married and had me when they were in their twenties. So they were still finding their career path. When they were in Port Arthur, they opened up a pho restaurant and then they decided to move to California. They started working there, but my dad realized that for any long-term career path, he had to go to college. And that was quite a path for him because he didn't speak English very well. Well, and tell me more about your parents because also I should say full disclosure, we were talking about this before we started recording. V is diligent and sent me a little kind of like background info about her. So now I know what I want to hear about, which is you you already shared a bit about your parents' path. But yeah, tell us more. Yes. Yeah, so my uh, parents emigrated from Vietnam after the Vietnam War, and they did not meet until they were in the States. And But their path to getting to the United States were the same. Right after the war, Vietnam War was lost, that same evening, the enti- their entire family packed up all their things, did not tell anyone, and escaped by boat to Malaysia, stayed at a refugee camp there, and eventually they were able to make it to the United States. And somehow they both ended up in Odessa, Texas, a small town in West Texas, where wow. they met at a church choir. And then they ended up in Port Arthur, Texas, had me, and then to California. And then the rest, then everything else back to Texas. (laughs) Yes. So with my dad, he knew he needed to have some stability. He had to go to college. And with that, they didn't have the money or the funds. And my dad had to, he had to learn English. So he had to work at places that would require him to interact with people. He worked at Hertz, the car rental company, so he can interact and practice his English. And because they had very little money, we were living with relatives, different relatives over a period of time, which was the reason why I kept moving schools. Mm -hmm. Eventually, we lived with another relative. So I couldn't really make friends in elementary school, but I was able to live with my cousins Mm -hmm. (laughs) and grow up with. Do you have siblings as well? Yes. So I have three other siblings. I'm the oldest and I have two younger brothers and one younger sister. And also just to make sure I'm following the timeline. So your dad goes back to college later. And so how old are you when he's going back to school? I was about four by then. And my youngest sister was born and my dad... My dad set a goal that by the time my sister turns four, he would graduate from college. Wow. Did he achieve it? Yes, he did. And that's how I remember all the timing, because I know when she hit four, he graduated from college. Yeah. So my mom would work. She would do somewhat odd jobs. The easiest one, because she had to watch four kids, she would sew clothes. So for factories. So what she would do is bring home the pile of fabric that she needed mm-hmm. and then would just sew clothes at home and then bring it back to the factory. So she did that in California and while we were living in Dallas. Wow. 
Thank you so much for sharing about that. I just think it's so interesting to learn about kind of fa- parents and where people grew up because it all feeds into who we end up becoming. So I appreciate you elaborating on that. But I know we eventually we get you back to Houston. You get to stay in the same school starting then. I'll ask this early, but we'll see where it takes us. Did you know as a child that you wanted to be a lawyer? I did not. In fact, I did not know any lawyers until I went to college. (laughs) (laughs) So I did not know much about practicing law other than that lawyers existed and what I saw on TV. You're like, I've heard of them. I know that's a thing. But so for you, you watched your, well, you were four when your dad went back to school. But by the time it sounds like he graduated, you were closer to eight. What were your thoughts on going to college and just education or kind of what you wanted to be when you grew up, at least when you were were younger? Or did you think about it at all? I did. Uh, I had an interest in the medical profession. So I thought I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And of course, my parents completely agreed with that goal. So <laughs> there was zero, no resistance to that idea in mind. Did I, in fact, I even um, interned did some internships during high school just to be able to work in a hospital or see in a hospital what goes on, see a couple surgeries, see wow. if I can stomach wow. it. So, did, you actually, did you actually get to see surgeries as a part of this internship? Yes. In fact, I saw an open heart surgery and some gastric surgery. That one was not fun to look at. But What kind of internship was this that allowed you to... It was a health sciences course where you you got clinical rotation. So this then, is in high school, though. That's amazing. School, yes. And we went, we would go off campus to different places each day of the week. So we went to, I helped at an adult daycare center one day of the week, and then at the hospital and rotate in different departments of the hospital. That's amazing. Okay. You went to a different high school than the one I went to, but that's. That was, That's amazing. Uh, this this brings back memories for me of back before the Learning Channel was all reality TV. They used to actually show operations. Really, and my dad and I, and I think the show was even called The Operation. <laughs> and my my father and I, we would watch the watch that. And that's just sorry, you saying that. I was like, the closest I've ever come is that show, The Operation. <laughs> but anyway, was it like C-SPAN where you just get to turn it on and? <laughs> It wasn't like an hour long show. And I think they tell you about what they were going to do, but it could be any sort of, and I don't even think they show stuff like that on TV anymore, even though we have so many more. Anyway, that just is a weird trippy memory from my childhood. Thank you for letting me share that. Um, Okay. So you're in high school, you're able to get exposed to, you know, aspects of medicine and then you have to apply to college. So what is that? What's that process like for you? What was the thought behind that? There was not much thought process in that. That's fine. I'm in the same boat. Tell me more. (laughs) With, well, with my dad, college was, college was the goal. So we, I wasn't really raised to think more than, think farther than that as in what college to go to, as long as it's a good college, just get there and then figure it out then. So I chose to go to the University of Houston because it was local and tuition was reasonable and it was a good school. So is that the only place you ended up applying? No, I applied to, so Texas has a program where I think it's top 7% now, but it was, if you're in the top 10%, you could apply and get into every Texas college. 
So I qualified for that. So I applied, I think I applied for UT, St. Thomas University, which is a private uh, college in Houston. And I got a scholarship from St. Thomas University, but I looked at the, I compared the tuition prices and I went with U of H. Mm -hmm. This also brings back memories of that decision-making process for me, (laughs) because like you said, there wasn't much thought. I was very similar in that it was definitely you're going to college. Right. I grew up in the Milwaukee area. And so you had to apply to the University of Wisconsin-Madison because you you did. Tuition was really inexpensive as an in-state resident. You had reciprocity at, at Minnesota, so you had to apply there. And then I got a fee waiver for American University. And I was like, let's apply there too. And there were a few others. Like I think Emory was my top choice, but um, it was all very haphazard. <laughs> and you just went with the flow, right? Yeah, yeah. Forever takes me. <laughs> well, I didn't necessarily, I mean, I'd heard of US News. I'd heard of right. different things and my parents sort of helped me, but like it was, I directed a lot of it myself. And ultimately the school that I applied to with the fee waiver that I'd never visited before is the one who gave me the most money to go. <laughs> Still would have been cheaper to go to Madison, but I wanted to get out of Milwaukee. So I wanted to be in DC. So th- it's just it's just so interesting when you look back about the decision-making and how you ended up in one place over another. So yeah, and, and that just brings back memories. All right, so you go to college. Tell me about that. What's that like? Sure. So my freshman year was a bit rough. I Towards the end of the first semester, I realized I was going to become a single mom. So barely starting college and I had to shift everything around Mm -hmm. before I went with the flow and I couldn't do that anymore. Uh, In fact, no, because you're, I mean, you're what, 18, 19 at this point? You're 19. Right. And you're trying to balance a baby or an infant with college. Yes. And just everything you believed in kind of falls apart mm-hmm. because you have, the plan, the plan's yes, out the, the window. The plan that everyone has in mind, go to college, get married, have a family. It all fell apart. Yeah. The order of operations is off. Like what do you, so, and it's, and it's interesting because obviously, you know, for the purposes of the episode, it's great to really, you know, share what you can share, but I don't want to be like, you know, overly pry, but I am curious as to how you were able to navigate that. Did you end up staying? in college or, or what did you do once you had your child? So once I realized I was pregnant, I had the talk with my parents and my dad sat down with me and he said, okay, you, you still have to go to college, but now you really have to think about what you're going to do. What's mm-hmm. your plan? You can't, the idea of being a doctor and going to school for another eight years on top of your bachelor's degree is probably not ideal. So what are you going to do? How are you going to make money? And um, my parents, they were not well off during that time either. So they couldn't help me financially. Mm -hmm. So I was concerned on, well, how do I feed a baby? And where am I going to get money to feed a baby? So money was very much an issue. Luckily, school, I still had financial aid. Mm -hmm. So I was able to continue with that. So I just kept going to school. I finished out my semester, kept going to school while I was pregnant, took summer classes too. I couldn't work. And I just had to rethink my whole college career path. And a few things happened during my pregnancy, which was also rough too. I got in a car accident 
it was, um, oh my gosh. Yes, it was. I wasn't harmed, but my car was completely harmed. So it, I didn't have a car. Well, and it, when money's an issue for your car <laughs> to now be gone, that's a big deal. My parents couldn't buy me a new car. And then I was even, I had my purse snatched while I was leaving a restaurant while I was seven months pregnant. When the guys ran off, I was yelling at them. I hope you feel good about yourself. I'm pregnant. <laughs> I'm, I don't know if they heard me, but. <laughs> yeah, we keep our fingers crossed that karma later took care of them. But yeah, geez. So no car, no money, uh, no purse. And but I, I had a great uh, family support, great support from my family. But yes. So then my classes, I had to pick my classes during the times where I could borrow my parents' cars. Mm. and rethink my college career path to something practical. What can I graduate with? Yeah. And so what were you thinking going in? So kind of what was the plan or what was your major? Did you change it? How did that work? Sure. So I, I think I originally majored in chemistry. I can't even remember anymore for pre-med. And I decided to major in human nutrition because I knew I wanted to stay in the medical industry, couldn't become a doctor, but maybe I could be a nurse or a physician's assistant. And with a nutrition degree, you have the biology and Mm -hmm. science classes, the same biology and science classes that were required for you to take the MCAT or apply to any post-grad medical professional school. So I went with human nutrition. So you pivot. Okay. Yes. Pivot into that. <laughs> so then uh, I just went about my business with getting as getting as high grades as possible with while the baby. Taking care, yeah. I'll take care <laughs> of a baby. And I didn't even ask and, you, have, you have a son or daughter. What? I have a son. Yes. Okay. He is 14 turning 15 now. Oh my God. What person? That's a, I, wow. Okay. So. <laughs> yes. Balancing the classes, uh, finding a sitter so I can go to the classes when I can borrow a car, whenever he was about nine months, just old enough, I I tried to find, I needed a job. Mm -hmm. So because I had no car, I worked at Amber Crombie and Fitch folding clothes overnight at night from like, I think it was like 10 PM to 2 AM or something because people are sleeping and the baby's sleeping and I can borrow a car. Oh my God. There's so many things that just jump into mind as you say that, which is one, I can only imagine how exhausted you are, by the way, to be doing that at night and school and having to take care of your son. But then also my most visceral response when I hear Abercrombie and Fitch is the smell of the stores. I swear they would just bathe it. (laughs) Would you spray the perfume at night as well? Are you serious? Would you really? You sprayed the perfume and the way they folded clothes was pretty funny because you had to fold it flat and then scrunch it up. So then which kind of defeats the purpose of holding clothes. But that's what I remember viscerally too. I come out smelling like Abercrombie. You and smell fit. like that. I, I assumed they had to <laughs> spray perfume every night, but you've just validated a suspicion I've had for a while. They did. <laughs> okay. Okay. But so that, but you were able to find that, that is a, a part-time job to, you know, kind of help make ends meet. And otherwise you kind of keep your head down. Like you said, try to get as great a grades as you can in college. And, and then what? For a while, I was just taking it by the day because you had uh, to. There was, yeah. The concern was food and money, and 
staying in school. So you couldn't really think about much else and taking care of the baby, of course. Mm -hmm. So you really couldn't think about much else. So I just kept pushing through. Eventually, I was able to afford a car, which I'd say was my proudest accomplishment Mm. at the time. And then keep juggling school. Then I started bartending instead of working at Abercrombie. Yeah. Because you can take shifts and you can work on the weekends. So I was bartending throughout college and that helped pay for everything. Well, and you also said something that, I mean, I've heard a lot, but I think it's really important and profound is that I think whenever you're dealing with any really difficult situation that day by day, sometimes hour by hour even, because if you start, if you, I don't know, just making up the time period, if you're two years into college and you're like, all right, only two more years to go, two years sounds like forever. Yeah. Like, how do you handle, but I can handle tomorrow. Right. Right. I can deal with tomorrow. Okay. So with all this going on, did you start at all thinking about law school or how did that come about? Sure. So, so I took things by the day because uh, that's all I could do. And Mm -hmm. once, so things got better by the day. And getting the car. (laughs) Yeah. Getting the car. car. So, well, before it was, once I became a single parent, any confidence I had just went out the window. Mm. And can you say why? I mean, just like, why? What did that? So the plan you had in mind is gone. You're not sure there's a lack of security mm-hmm. and all you're striving for is security, food, money, job, supporting your child, taking care of the baby. So you just don't think you're capable of much more. Mm-hmm. You're just not sure what's going to happen in the future. And every time you think about the future, it just looks dreadful. You can't predict it. And it looks dreadful. Yeah. But the circumstances you go from like losing self-confidence and I'm I'm guessing at some point those dynamics started to change a little bit and maybe you were able to become more confident, perhaps. So uh, losing self-confidence, you're just not sure what you can you can handle. And when you look into the future, everything looks dreadful. So once I was able to check off, okay, I don't have to worry about formula and diapers. I can handle that. I can handle taking care of the baby. Check that off. I am a competent mother. (laughs) I love my child. Check that off. I have a car. Check. College. Check. I can manage good grades. Check. So then I start start to gain, slowly gain confidence that, yes, I can do this. Mm -hmm. It's not as dreadful. I can somewhat see the future. And I was doing very well in school. And I even got an internship at to work for a dietitian because I was, mm-hmm. there's the health profession, but then can I be a dietitian? Right. So I interned for a dietitian. Uh, it was great experience. I really enjoyed it. So by junior year, I checked off all the boxes on what I needed to do. And then I had to stop and think, well, what next? Are you Mm -hmm. sure you want to be in the health profession? Is it something you're going to be passionate about? I can finally ask the question of whether I'm going to be passionate about it. Yep. Which is really, it's a privilege to be able to ask that question. I actually talk about this a fair amount with professional alignment. And the first thing I acknowledge is it's a real privilege to even be able to say, but am I passionate about it? Yes. I didn't have the luxury to ask what did I ask myself what I wanted to do 
it was more of what can I do? So mm-hmm. I f- finally reached that point and then rethought, had to rethink about, rethink my college and career path. Is this something I want to do? Can you see yourself 10 years doing this for 10 years? Can you see yourself being a nurse for 10 years? And a very good friend of mine suggested, have you have you considered law school? And never crossed my mind, but it sounded interesting. And because I was a bartender, I, I bartended at a sushi restaurant. I talked to a lot of lawyers. You do a lot I of lawyers. asking <laughs> questions. <laughs> we do have to stop for one second. Because I was a bartender, I knew not a lot of lawyers. And I hope everybody can just find that funny because yes, lawyers may have a bit of an issue with depression and alcoholism and we are not making fun of that, but let's all say that that's just a funny thing you said. But anyway, yeah. go on. And that's not what I meant. <laughs> it, I, is I mean, not, I meant it is not, but I just, I put that disclaimer there. Exactly. <laughs> but, let's, but it's still, it's still funny and I hope people can laugh with us and not <laughs> think it's, you know, too too much gallows humor. But anyway, go on. So yes. so what did you gain? You've met all these different types of people because that you know, as a bartender, you meet lots of people. Some of them were lawyers. Yes. I had the opportunity, well, as a bartender and running, meeting a lot of people, I had the opportunity to ask questions. And I think that's where I got some of the best advice. Even one of the best advice I got was, well, first he sent me a New York Times article on how risky the law is for an early reality check Mm. and told me that, look, just do well in your first year of law school. And if you don't drop out, (laughs) so that was his. Wow. He was very real. Okay. Well, it was certainly uh, very motivating because um, going through my first semester of law school, I thought, well, you better do well or you're going to be out one semester's yeah. worth of tuition money because you're going to have to drop yeah. out if this doesn't yeah. work. Well, but it's, it's so funny because we've had a lot of people like on the show and I think people in law know, yeah, your first year matters a lot. We've also had a number of people say how the first year was really rough for them and they managed to overcome that. But we'd be lying, I guess, if we didn't acknowledge, yeah, there's a ton of pressure on your first year of law school. Yes. Absolutely. So I went an all or nothing approach and I really didn't want to waste a semester or that tuition money. So I did everything I could to do well. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, and did you go to law school right after? What was the timing between college and law school? So during my junior year, once I decided that I wanted to go to law school, there were a few problems. First, with law school and becoming a lawyer, you have to write a lot. By then, with the science background, I had written, I did not write a single paper for the last like four years. So do I, can I write? Do I even like writing? So then I picked up an English minor. Wow. Just That's to a lot figure of it out. Like. <laughs> Just to figure it out. So because there's, I had to avoid, there's a, there's an issue with risk with having, you're taking care of a baby. So you, whatever decision you make, you have to do this risk analysis on how is it going to affect the baby and how it will affect my family because my family was my support structure and they were my support system to help me even keep going to college and even thinking about law school. So when I made the decision, I had to talk to my parents again to see if they were fine with it too and whether they would support me. So I joined a pre-law society to see if uh, I would, how well I'll get along with my Mm pre-law classmates. I 
picked up the English minor so I could start writing again and see if I like it. I enjoy way, writing. <laughs> that is so incredibly smart because I've said this repeatedly, but I was basically a pre-law major. I had to write things all the time. That does not mean my writing was any good. I also, for some reason, thought lawyers or being a lawyer more about the oral communication than the written communication. So not to say that I didn't think that lawyers wrote a lot, but I don't know if I really understood that, particularly as a litigator at a large firm, you spend most of your time writing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not just sent out to court every day. But so for you to do something or to take classes that would really like formally improve your writing, I just think is such a brilliant idea. Sorry, I, di I digress. I just wanted to spin on that because that's just so incredibly smart. But so what happens? You talk to your family, will they support you? And then how? When did you apply or how did that work to actually go to law school? So, and by the way, I got the tip on the writing from a customer while I was bartending. So, so awesome. <laughs> while I worked. Oh, you're a lawyer? Hey, by the way, I have this random question. What do you think about picking up an English minor to get it's better like, with writing? Go for it. <laughs> do it. Exactly. Yes, do it. So um, part of the decision to go to law school, well, law school tuition is expensive. What are you going to do? Uh, what law school are you going to go to? How is this going to work? What do you need to do to minimize the risk of the law school uh, lawyer path not working out? And what are you going to do to maximize the recovery? Mm -hmm. Am I going to get paid when I get out of law school? Will I be able to get a job? And during that time, this was during the Great Recession, too. So this was in 2009. Mm -hmm. So it was an even bigger risk. So I started reading a ton of articles, just talked to people, and I realized, okay, law school is expensive. You need a scholarship. And the better the law, the better the law school, the better the job prospects. So how are you going to get into the best law school you can without paying so much money? And the path to that was the LSAT. So I, once I graduated, I took, I took the year off just to spend more time with uh, my son and my family and just work and study the, for the LSAT. I spent about a semester to study for the LSAT to get the highest score possible. Luckily I did. And then I applied to the law schools that and even picking the law school, I had to mm -hmm. talk to my family because first year was going to be tough. Would they be able to help me watch my son mm -hmm. while I handle this first year? And I knew the best way to do it is I have to live on campus. And I was, I wanted to go to UT law school. Can I go to school in Austin and be away from my son Monday through Friday and come back on the weekends? And my parents said, look, if that's what you want to do, we'll support you. But ultimately, that was not what I, I wanted to do. So I decided to apply to Houston schools. I applied to other big schools that I knew gave out bigger scholarships. And then I took the scholarship offers to request a scholarship from U of H, the University of Houston Law Center. And they gave me a half scholarship. And then I decided to go to U of H Law School. You've just said so many things that are so helpful <laughs> yes. to particularly the pretty long winded. Well, no, but it's so important. Everything you said and the fact that you're deciding all of this during the Great Recession, because 
you have to be really intentional about law school. I think I might be sort of the last, I don't know if, if generation is fair, but that last group of people who went to law school and could be like blissfully naive in the sense that it was that time where it was like law firm salaries are just going up, up and up. And this is amazing. And, you know, we didn't have, we'd, we'd had a little bit of an adjustment with like the dot com kind of early 2000s, but we'd encountered nothing like the Great Recession. So just everything you did and the diligence and also that what you just said about being able to take scholarship money. And I actually did that a little bit with law school. I was able to say, hey, I got X from this school. Right. Could you guys meet that? You know, you, not everybody knows that that's something you can do. So I'm just in awe. And thank you so much for sharing all of that. We're going to move forward. And we might, like I said, we might go a little tiny bit long, but I'm watching the clock. But I want to hear about, so what was law school like? And then, of course, we have to talk about for, you know, you started at Gardeer, which is now Foley, but we're going to hit on those two things. Sure. We have to before this podcast ends. <laughs> sure. We have to. So yes, tell me a little bit about law school. Law school, hopefully this one's a briefer story, but law school went as planned. Uh, first year was an all or nothing approach. And my son was the source of motivation throughout college mm. and the first year because I was away from him Monday through Friday and my parents are helping me watch him. So don't waste your time. Use the most of it. Uh, there are, you have your support system. Uh, your son's waiting for you. So you better not be wasting your time. Mm -hmm. And that kept me diligent. Uh, I remember on the weekends, I would take him on campus on Saturdays, we'd ride ride the bike around campus and then ride to the library where I'd study. And then he'd sit next to me and play some computer games. And then we'll walk to the food court. But that was our Saturdays. Yeah. And so he was like, and what, then, four or five at that point? Yes. He was five at the time in kindergarten. Yeah. What you're saying is very similar to, to so a podcast that'll air before yours is with a partner in Miami, Larry Perlman, who was actually a doctor. He's a um, so he's a partner at Foley, of course. He was a doctor before he was a lawyer, but he started law school with a like a, a two-year-old and soon a newborn. And he said the exact same thing about, this is time away from my family. I have to, it's disrespectful to them. So for you, it's with you know your son, your parents, for me to use this time for anything other than to just really you know maximize everything I can with law school and learning and grades and all that. Yes. And that was the three years of law school. I, I did enjoy law school. I enjoyed meeting my classmates. I've made lifelong friends. I may not have gone to as many bars and trivia nights as I'd like, but uh, that was okay. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, other it, it was a great experience. I even uh, got an internship before law school and during the first year of my law school through a customer at the restaurant that I worked at. I love it. Cuz there you have these re you have regular customers. So I've seen this one customer, I've chatted with him for the 4 years that I've worked there. Mm -hmm. Whenever he comes in, I'd say hello and chat with him and then I told him one day, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to law school, so this is my last week. Farewell. I enjoyed beating you. And then he gave me his business card and said, hey, mm -hmm. if you want to intern in the legal department, let me know. I called him, interned there, worked out very well. I learned so much there before law school and uh, after my first year. And that's still a lifelong relationship. Yeah. 
That's an amazing story. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So how I'm trying to decide if I want to get into the how Gardeer or how litigation. I don't know if maybe they maybe they overlap a bit, but how does it that you ended up working for Gardeer? And then for those who aren't familiar, Foley and Lardner merged with Gardeer a couple of years ago. So it's now Foley and Lardner, but that is your your path to getting to Foley. So how how was it that you ended up at Gardeer? I went through the OCI process, the on-campus interviews, and Gardeer was one of the firms I interviewed with. And I got an offer from there and another firm. So I split my summer between two firms. And whenever I summered at Gardeer, uh, and that this does go into the litigation part. Whenever mm-hmm. I summered at Gardeer, I split my summer to do both transaction and litigation because I was not sure what I wanted to do. And I realized I wanted to go to lit- litigation, get into well, practice litigation because um, I'd have lunch with all the attorneys every week at the firm. And I would ask the transactional attorneys, well, what made you decide to do transactional instead of litigation? And the most common answer I, I got was, well, I don't really like the adversarial nature of litigation. And by the end of the summer, I thought about it and realized that I do like the adversarial <laughs> nature of litigation. Well, I do. <laughs> I'm going to go with litigation. <laughs> I really like that. I know the one, the reason I became a litigator was because I understood litigation. I just couldn't understand what they were doing with corporate. Tra- I was like, I don't, I don't get it. But it's it's so funny to say I. But and I did like the adversarial nature, so let's do it. I still do to this day. Well, and I'm curious, what is your practice like? You've now been a practicing lawyer for six years. You touched on it a little bit, but that was almost 40 minutes ago. So what kind of stuff do you work on and what do you enjoy about practice? Sure. So uh, my focus is in energy litigation. Uh, Being in Houston, there's a lot of clients in the energy industry. With litigation, what you do day to day is controlled by the cases you're on and the schedule, the docket. What when is your trial date? When is your discovery due? When are your mm-hmm. expert reports due? So that controls my day-to-day. If I have a dispositive motions deadline in three weeks, then that's going to be my focus, which is great because you can manage your schedule knowing what's coming ahead. So each day is just managing your schedule to check off the list on the things that are due and then move on to the next day. Now, cases... The reason I chose Gardeer, too, whenever I summered was I got the impression that they, whenever they hire associates, they hire them for the purpose of grooming them to be partners. Mm -hmm. They hire associates who they see will become partners in the future. So they're invested in your future. So you get experience very early on, client interaction depositions, uh, hearings, trial, it's more of if you can handle it, you can do go it. Ahead. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's the same now that the firm is fully right. Cause I, yeah. I mean, the firms culturally were very, very similar. Yes. That's what I really liked about the merger too. It, the culture was the same and it was, it felt seamless to me. Yeah. So I, in fact, I went on my, I was on, I went to trial by my second year. Wow. Gardier. Yes. Yeah. That doesn't always happen. Although, you know what, V, I've realized I kind of skipped ahead. So I actually have to go back a little bit because you took us through really your tremendous journey and path. 
you know, not everything you encountered up until, you know, graduating from law school, getting that first job, I have to ask, was there ever a moment of, I don't know if it would be of catharsis or where you just are like, wow, I did it. So I don't know if it's when you started that first day as a lawyer or when you walked the stage to get your JD, but like a moment where you could just be like, I don't know if it's breathing a sigh of relief or what was that like? And when did it happen? Sure. So I'd say that moment was when I got a offer for the summer program at Gardeer. Mm-hmm. Granted, it wasn't in the bag completely, but it's certainly a milestone uh, because you have a job at least for six weeks. So I'd say that was when I knew I did it. That was a big one. And then how how about your parents and all the support? I mean, at any point were they... I don't know if you guys are a family that would talk about this stuff, but you know they're they're also a main character yes. <laughs> in the story that you just just shared. But it's also just awesome that at some point they were like, "Wow, she did it!" Like, yes, I think for them was when I graduated, when I walked across the stage, and that I had a job <laughs> lined up. That was it. Uh, but I would give them the milestones. Hey, my grades are great. Yes. Hey, I'm getting job interviews. Hey, I got a job. I'm working the job. Gosh. I haven't been fired. So. That's fantastic. Well, and as we wrap up our time, I have to ask you the same question I ask everybody, which is I'm wondering about your advice. And I have to do a better job at asking this question, you know, so be charitable and, you know, kind of respond whatever you want to say. But I've actually had a lot of law students that I've encountered over the over decade I've been in the legal industry. And we just, we don't hear stories like yours. Like we hear stories about that person who had like the prototypical, you know, I'm going to college, I'm going to law school, not a care in the world, money doesn't matter, it's fine. you know. (laughs) But so do you have advice to somebody about, you know, if you have a little bit of an alternative path that, you know, they too can, can do this or what are your thoughts? Sure. The best advice I have is make those short-term goals and long-term goals. With being a single parent, if you look into the future and looking at how high the mountain you have to climb, it looks dreadful. So making, what do I want to accomplish in 30 days? What do I want to accomplish in a year, your five-year, your 10-year? And during college, okay, well, you need a high LSAT score. What do you need to get there? Within 30 days, I'm going to take 10 practice tests and keep focusing. Once you check off all those short-term goals you make, you look back and you realize you've accomplished one big long-term goal. So I didn't really get to reflect on everything I checked off until I got the job. And I look back, it's like, oh, well, I checked off all the boxes on what Mm -hmm. I said I was going to do. But that five-term goal or the goal of getting into law school and getting a job is just more manageable if you make your list of tasks, that you, the things that you need to do to get to that ultimate goal. Well, that big goal is fundamentally a bunch of tiny little steps. Yes. And so what I hear you saying is to map those steps. And what I also have heard you say over the last 45 minutes is that the experience being a bartender is really invaluable. <laughs> because, <laughs> Yes. Yes, it was. It was just as invaluable as law school. That's amazing. I think there's actually a book that's like the wisdom from a, a bartender. That's not the title, but it's something like that. And I, I totally understand why when you're exposed to that many different types of people. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up. And then I just have to ask, of course, if somebody listens to this, has comments or questions for you, can they look you up on Foley's website and shoot you an email? Yes, of course. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show, V. No problem. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with V. I am delighted to add this update to her episode, which is that shortly after we recorded, V was promoted to senior counsel at Foley and Lardner. Congratulations, V. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley and Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley and Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.